Hello, it's Pete here, and welcome to EdTech Innovators. This week, it's all about how you develop resilience as an educator. We have a lovely interview with David Gumbrell. Enjoy, and that's in order. Hello, David Gumbrell. I've got it right this time. Really good to see you again. Uh, we met about this time last year. We'll talk about yeah. that in a sec. But, uh, but welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. And uh, yeah, it was good when we connected. There seemed to be a synergy between us. And uh, hopefully that will come across this afternoon. I'd like to think so, honestly. And, and last time there was an event on at LJMU, of course. And yeah. um, people loved you, you know. I'm not just saying that because cool. <laughs> you're on my podcast. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. People really enjoyed your sessions. They, they really enjoyed the, um, the um, workshops that you did and they enjoyed the lecture that you did too. So there were a couple of things that you did. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I, that, that's wonderful feedback and I do cherish that feedback. It's, what I, it's why I do what I do. But I think it's because I really tune in to emotionally connecting with these folk. Mm. Folk that are human beings trying hard to mm. train to be a teacher, to be a teacher but they are human beings and therefore they're vulnerable um, at times and they feel that um, it's going to be difficult at times. And hopefully I can be that reassurance for them um, and guidance for them. And I'm an experienced teacher. And so comparing, you know, I, I can just be that safety blanket underneath them. And that's how I kind of present my ideas and then a little bit of fun along the way. Um, and just a little bit of, you know, um, relax into it rather than it trying to be something perfect. Because mm. teaching, as you know, Pete, is definitely not for perfectionists. <laughs> absolutely not. And we'll, we'll talk about that, actually, because I, I'm, I'm a, a fierce opponent of uh, absolute perfectionism, of course, because we know how, uh, I suppose, uh, debilitating it can be. You know, it strangles you, doesn't it, I think? I don't think there's time to be perfectionists and I, I think it's really debilitating as you say mm. and I think that uh, it's not good to measure ourselves against 10 out of 10 mm. um, it's good to, so, to measure ourselves against how we're feeling yeah and then rather than saying well is me why am I not 10 out of 10 what I like to think about it is okay I'm a six mm. out of 10 how can I be a seven how can I make myself one more than I currently am Absolutely. And I think that's a really positive kind of growth mindset idea, really. Um, that, uh, but it's also realistic. And I mm. think perfectionist is certainly a long way from realistic. Mm. So before we go any further, I'll give you the uh, respect you deserve, of course, because uh, people should uh, listen and respect, <laughs> listen to and respect what you're saying, because you're coming at it from a great uh, from a position of great experience. Um, so let's um, start by uh, looking at um, your experience as a, uh, a teacher. So of course you've been a teacher for many years and of course yeah. you're involved in teacher education now, yeah. Um, yeah. which we can talk about in, in a little while. And you are a successful author um, who's put out three books recently. So I'll read the titles of those if that's okay. So Lift, Going Up If Teaching Gets You Down. Yeah. Uh, practical teaching, teaching will of course at some point get you down. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, the latest one is The Amazing Gator Z of Resilience, 26 Curious Stories and Activities to Lift Yourself Up. I am reading this by the way, David. I haven't memorized every 
element of <laughs> I was very impressed, Peter Teaser. <laughs> I was a full night memorizing them. Uh, and risk signposting better choices to more adventurous teaching. So it would be uh, logical, wouldn't it? In fact, it would only be fair to talk about, about the most recent one, which um, I was reading a bit of uh, before. I read a sample of this before, and it's lovely. It really is. Um, so can you talk us through uh, what, you've, what you've tried to achieve with, with uh, this latest book? What I was trying to achieve is can I, I was challenging myself to be that primary teacher again, because as you say, I've now moved into training teachers to be teachers, but can I still teach? Mm. Um, and so the idea between A to Z of resilience and why it matters um, is very much around, could I write about difficult concepts in children's language? Mm. Could I get to grips with resilience and mental health? Mm whilst using less words and less difficult words so it was a real challenge for me it was a real kind of intellectual challenge it was like writing poetry because you had less words to say some difficult things mm. um but i really enjoyed that challenge i wanted to maintain some of the elements that make what i do successful in terms of using metaphors and practical things and then linking that to um mental health and resilience so when I prepared for that book, um, I went into schools and I said, right, give me something that begins with uh, W that you like. And they shouted, wellies. And so wellies became uh, W is for wellies. Um, I had no idea what the connection was going to be at that point, but I wanted it to resonate with those children. So it's an effective, useful tool to go into the classroom with. So wellies, for example, turned into Paddington Bear's Wellington boots. Um, and Paddington Bear didn't wear wellies when he first came out in the first couple of books. Then he got successful. Then a toy was made of him. Then they had to put wellies on him because he couldn't stand on his own two feet. Standing on your own two feet is a really important thing to be able to do as a young person as you're developing your independence. And therefore, the moral of the story is that. So it's a little nugget. It's a little something that you can take into the classroom. They think they're doing Paddington Bear. And then before they know it, they're talking about deeper concept of the importance of standing on your own two feet. And that's what it's trying to do. Good. And what about the, the relevance for adults? So, so um, I mean, if I could, uh, we like to deal with difficult questions from our trainees, don't we? We're, we're good at that, of course, mm. as, as teacher educators. So um, I'll ask you, I, I like to ask a difficult question in, in my podcast. And, and uh, I keep saying that I should have a, a, a jingle for it or something. It's like yes, a difficult question good. time. Yeah with, a, hey. <laughs> yeah, with a scary sound effect. Which, Absolutely. Which, which yeah, I should yeah, pull yeah. off. Uh, in a sec and um, so the difficult question is you know it, it, I mean, it looks I think the typography and the layout and so on uh, and the graphics are very much you know in the style of a children's book so where's the relevance for adults because I think there is one because I think that as a teacher um, you are the role model um, but living with and structuring with the, the the learning for those children when you're reading it it's also going to instruct you mm. so it's a way of saying okay, well, I'm talking about it to the children, therefore I'm depersonalizing it in a way, and I'm thinking it's not anything to do with me. Mm. Actually, it is absolutely to do with them. Mm. Um, and just because it's a kid's book doesn't mean it doesn't resonate more deeply than that. And I think that as the teachers are using that resource, they're reflecting back on their own world and go, well, I don't do that. Mm. Maybe I should do that. Mm. Um, maybe I should be a good role model for the children that I work with, mm. and therefore maybe I should be doing that. 
and and the book's not very it's not judgmental in any way it's not saying you're not good enough it's not preaching to the converted it is very much reminders and peaks of interest around things that we all know we should do but we don't mm. or we know you should do but we don't have time for or we think modern, we don't have time for them or modern life has just given them the excuse to say i don't need to look after my own needs and the books are just there to go absolutely you do need to look after your own basic needs in order to be the best teacher you can be in order to be a good learner in order to be a happy person in order to be a good citizen mm. it's best press reverse and maybe covid's taught us that in in the short term well i'd like to think so I and mean, i really like the way that um the, the appeal for adults is in the, in that um it's it's speaking in very simplistic terms but not patronizing mm. um here's the scary sound effect by the way it's uh, this one like that one that's the uh, difficult question sound effect <laughs> anyway. <laughs> right so I'm go i'll re read a little um section from the book if i may and uh, we, we can talk about that so um yeah um so i love the bit about spaghetti i mean that that's obviously it's an a to z so you, you pick a letter and I, I like the way that you say at the start that you don't need to uh, do it sequentially you know in order of the the alphabet you can just sort of dip in and out and maybe start with your own uh, the first letter of your own name or whatever so that that's really nice um so uh yeah i'll just read a, an extract if i may uh, so do you love alphabetic spaghetti on toast spelling out your name with the pasta letters in front of you there are never enough of some letters like j's so you have to dig around to find them and then that goes on to um can you find a, a number with the word spaghetti as an anagram and then what you should do and how that might help an adult or a child of course with um, dealing with your problems so uh, for example uh, challenging problems come with more rewarding solutions alternatively you can grab a piece of paper and start writing your thoughts down to start to organize them if you can see that your thoughts if, sorry if you can see your thoughts with your own eyes then you can build on them to find that solution if your thoughts still seem like unorganized spaghetti then you ask others for help of course beautiful Again, it's just a simple idea. Um, alphabet spaghetti is what I was brought up with. Um, uh, it felt like a tea time treat. It felt fairly innocent. My children still like a, a spaghetti on toast every now and again. Um, and I thought that was just something that was there in everybody's house. It wasn't trying to be you know, too overly scientific. It was just an everyday thing. And, mm. and because it, it was, it's almost disarming people to make them think that I'm not teaching them something. And I think scrambled ideas is, 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 a, really, is a really good idea um, to share with children because I think the world is confusing. And I think that what we're not doing is, is giving children the, the option or giving adults the option either of give, having time to think that through, to unravel those knots, to mm. solve the anagram, to find words within it, to find their path within it. And give them the time to do that because i think that the curriculum is so pressurized time in school is so pressurized um and we're not giving children the time to unscramble their thoughts to unscramble their letters of their spaghetti mm. and that i my hope would be that a school would take this on and it would become a regular session in school mm. um, and that children were given the time and the space to discuss this stuff and in the process of leading that session, the teacher would then reflect for themselves as to whether they give themselves time 
to unscramble their own thoughts and try to get to grips with the difficult world in which we lived and certainly live in now. That's great. And just to break it down even further, if, if I may, um, let's think of the training teachers and let's think of the children they'll be exposed to and will be supporting over the next few months. So let's start with the training teachers then. So th this podcast has been recorded on September the 17th, 2020. So um, Many people will listen to it, of course, at, um, at other times. But can we just focus on what the specific challenges that September presents for training teachers? They're just starting their placements. So in what ways are their heads going to be completely scrambled? And why is that going to be so difficult to deal with? I think that they're, not, they're, they're going to find it difficult to emotionally regulate themselves. So my message to all teacher trainees going into school is that there is going to be a surge of confusion there's going to be a surge of doubt and but there's therefore they're going to have to concentrate even more on emotional regulation they're going to have to learn even quicker that looking after themselves is important to be able to rise to the challenge that is teaching and is going into a new school for the first time yeah. um, and then on top of that all of the covid regulations that are going to be there and the social distancing and how that becomes a little bit more challenging for folk mm. so i think if you reverse all of that, the best way to, um, to deal with such an element of change and emotional instability is to really focus wholeheartedly on yourself. Mm. It means sleeping well, eating well, connecting well, you know, all of those things can massively help you to read the situation that's in front of you accurately, mm. to keep doing the best that you can and to flourish as much as you can um, in these new, well, this new normal is going to be the, the modern day classroom for some time, I think. Good. So difficult question time again. Let's have the uh, pointless sound effect. <laughs> the difficult okay. question is, yeah. which you'll have had this a million times, David. So um, how am I going to do all of that when I've got no time? I've got to prepare lessons. I've got to mark. I've got, I've got to do assignments for university, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, not, not enough time to do it is, is, is the classic one, isn't it? Um, and it is a difficult question for many, but it's not difficult. Basically, if you haven't slept well, everything you do the following day is going to take longer. Mm. If you haven't eaten lunch, the afternoon is not going to be as productive. Everything is going to take longer. Mm. If you haven't looked after yourself, Friday is going to be a bit of a write-off. Thursday is going to be a bit of a write-off. And that while productivity is going to be dropping over the course of that week or potentially over the course of the half term. Therefore, reverse backwards. If you have a good night's sleep, then you are more likely to be reactive, proactive, productive, and therefore you'll get things done quicker. You'll see things sharper. Your relationships will go better, so you won't have any reparation work or less reparation work to do. Behaviour management will be better, so you'll have less behaviour management issues to therefore deal with. So my concept, my main point I want to kind of get across to folks this afternoon is the idea that for me, resilience is proactive and not reactive. And though we have got time to do it, because we're going to save time if we do do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, in a way, the, 
this is these two are the most difficult questions of all so far and so just to you know put myself in the position of, of the training teachers who were, we all uh, love we both love of course and we're, we're exposed to on a regular basis we work with um so how do i know that i've become resilient and and how long is it going to take um it won't take long to get into a routine of getting your sleep um it's a more case of prioritizing it and then keeping to that new routine so people that have started on this thing think oh yeah skeptically i'll give it a go um, and concentrate on sleep so start to wind down a little bit earlier in the evening start to really focus on it mm. uh, give themselves a little bit longer in in in, in sleep land so you're getting their eight hours of sleep reducing their caffeine levels and then suddenly it starts to build and suddenly it starts to go and then you just know when you're feeling right you i think human beings are really good at knowing when they're not when they're right and when they're not right what we're not very good at especially in the teaching world is acting on when our response says no mm. <laughs> when our bodies say no we still keep going because we can't let people down or we can't let the children down or we might fail our nqt year or we might fail our course mm. but when we've done the good stuff when we've done the good basics we're buoyant we're happy we're contented we react well to situations and that's what I do, you know. I, I'm not immune to I'm not immune to difficult days, but I I I am more resistant to difficult days mm. because I say what I do, and I do what I say, mm. and you know I sleep. I really concentrate on sleep. I really concentrate on relationships. I really concentrate on learning new stuff and finding excitement in that, mm. and that puts you in a good stead yeah well it, it, are we okay to share ideas about how covid has, has affected our routines i'll, I'll start you off yeah, with that. you've you feel like i have like a therapist who's lured me into divulging things about myself so uh i'll, I'll do i'll do that. <laughs> i'm okay for that yeah. you go first and i'll follow <laughs> yeah okay so um since lockdown I've uh, the the downside is um, I've I've I have started work a lot earlier, so I'd start work about seven ish in, in the morning, and I often don't leave the house all day, and that obviously does not make you feel very good. I can sometimes feel trapped and isolated, and it's not good for productivity. It's not really it doesn't make you feel uh, focused or or happy. Uh, the upside is, of course, uh, many things from my life that are irritations uh, have gone like, like things like commuting and getting petrol and things as we said before yeah um and i am exercising a lot more and and you know i'm, I'm getting a lot more fresh air right ironically despite the fact that i'm not leaving the house very often and i'm spending so much more time with people who, who are important to me um you know in having proper face time if you like with people who are important to me um and I'm doing a lot more and um, I'm doing a lot more and a lot less at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, in, in, yeah I think that makes perfect sense. You're doing a lot more of a lot less. Mm. And I think it's, it's made it simpler for us all. Mm. Um, we've had to reflect in on what's important and we've had to reflect in on not being distracted by stuff mm. and, and what matters to us. So my COVID world has been very much around concentrating on connecting with those who I love. Uh, connecting with those who I care deeply about, finding new ways to do that, but making sure the frequency is there and the quality is there and there's mat subject matter to talk about. Um, so I found that new ways of connecting with people as to being incredibly valuable and incredibly important. So replacing the importance of connecting for real 
but I think you can do it online. I've walked more than I've walked ever. Mm -hmm. So my commuting time, sitting in a car doing nothing, has changed into walking over fields and common and woodland um, to the point where I pretty much know every path in the locality um, that is of mud and not of tarmac. Um, and that's been fantastic. I found the creative writing flick that I didn't, I, well, I'm still finding, um, but I've been exploring. So I've really enjoyed that, the kind of extra time that I've found um, to do some more cerebral thinking, some big ideas and some more ideas of how to communicate this stuff to others. Um, I've missed all, I, I, well, I haven't missed a commuting other than I used to listen to podcasts and, or more podcasts and more audible and audio books. Um, and so my audible subscription is not uh, working as hard as it previously was because I don't sit in a car and listen to an audio book very often <laughs> anymore. Um, but I can go with that. I think the benefits have outweighed the negatives, but mm. I'm in a very lucky position. I realize that. And I pinch myself every day how lucky I am. Yeah. Um, and that realisation of how lucky I am, I think, has been the biggest thing I've learned over COVID world. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And um, the thing I've done is, is, is start to think about reading, which I haven't really been able to do. Or sorry, I, I felt like I haven't been able to do um, for, for several years, really, because of workload. Mm. So um, just being able to think about reading. And not yes. just reading, it's, been, it's been a lovely thing. Yes. Yes, looking at words, but thinking and, and thinking it through, you know, going for a, a harder book or a book of a, you know, intellectually stimulating or intellectually challenging. And we're able to do that because we've got the mind space to do that. Mm. We've got the cognitive surplus as uh, I can't remember who said that. I love the word cognitive or the phrase cognitive surplus. Mm. But we've got we've had that recently. Or yes. Some of us have had that recently. The lucky ones of us have had that recently. Um, and uh, I've made good use of that. Mm. So another uh, difficult question. <laughs> I'm turning it to Jeremy Paxman here, aren't I, David? It's fine. I'm cool with difficult questions. <laughs> I won't do the jingle this time. There's no need, is there? Okay. But, okay. But really, um, so if I'm like, if I'm training to be a teacher now, I've either had my university degree cut short because of uh, lockdown. Or my job, the job that I was doing before I trained to be a teacher was complicated either through, you know, being made redundant or going into furlough or having to work from home or whatever. So now I've got to look after myself, which we, which we talked about. But at the same time, there is a genuine need to raise my game, isn't there? To, to, you know, to, to toughen up, if you like, to, to work really, really hard, to work harder than I've ever done in my life, probably. So how, how might we balance those two needs? I, I, well, I think that working harder is not the solution that's needed. I think working sharper is what we need to be doing. So I think it's the idea that, yes, we've got to sharpen our game, but we've got to concentrate on the things that matter the most. And if we concentrate on what matters the most for ourselves and what matters the most for teaching, um, what are the you know, the, the, the must-dos in teaching. What are the must-dos in terms of study? What are the must-dos when you go into school? And just being a bit cleverer about that. I think we've been distracted by superfluous things that don't matter. But I think that if we can concentrate on building strong relationships when we go into school with our mentor, with our children, with our students, with our university lecturer, 
who's connected to the school that is massively important and sometimes overlooked mm. connecting with colleagues so that we've got that safety net around us so that when we need it we there are people there that can help and support us mm. um and it's there's great access to knowledge and information out there and people seem to be offering more and more content online that's supportive um and um offering teach student teachers much more than i had access to or feel as if i had access to in hindsight mm. i think there's real positives and i think i want student teachers to not say woe is me i'm the covid generation where I said to all of my student teachers and all of the teachers going out into the big wide world was stand up and be proud of what you have done. Mm. Don't be apologetic with what you couldn't control. Mm. And there's a difference between being apologetic for that or standing up and being proud of the things you can control. And I regularly say to, my, um, to people I'm working with, control the controllables. We can't control COVID testing, but we can control that we can limit who we're hanging out with. We can limit whether we want to go to the pub or not. We can limit whether we're going to bump in into each other. We can limit whether we're going to go to Ikea and buy some emergency shelving. We can control a lot. I want student teachers and I want teachers to look after what they can look after. Yeah, talking of going to Ikea to buy emergency shelving, the um, I was going to ask you about some things that you know teachers might consider dropping from their routine. So I'll start you off with uh, what you just said there, of course, going to Ikea to buy some emergency shelving, but also um, answering emails every five minutes. So the, the need to, to answer emails all the time and to answer emails into the night and, and uh, you know, just before bedtime and things like that. I mean, these are habits that perhaps need to be curtailed, would you say? But what about some other obvious things that, um, that, that trainee teachers should consider doing differently? Setting out the line very quickly. Um, so the training yesterday, I said, you know, set your benchmarks out. When is enough enough? When is a good day a good day? When is home and work line? When's it finishing? When's it ending? Mm. And holding yourself to that, knowing that you've got to recharge yourself in order to be ready for the following day. Mm. You're right about the emails. We've have allowed the modern world to encroach, mm. but we've allowed it to. So I was a head teacher for seven years, and I didn't have I didn't have email on my home computer, work emails on my home computer. I didn't have work emails on my home phone, or on my phone. I didn't answer emails at the weekend. I didn't send emails at the weekend. Mm. I think if we allow it to encroach, then we allow it to encroach, but we can push, push it back. WhatsApp is the killer, isn't it? WhatsApp, where it's notifying everybody of everybody's things, mm. and we never know whether it's important or not important, socially engaging or not socially engaging. Um, and it's interrupting people's worlds. So if I'm out on a walk, I'm going for a walk in the woods, and enjoying the wildlife and enjoying the sound of the birds and enjoying the sunshine on my back. And then my phone's beeped. If we've allowed that notification to interrupt us, we're less productive and less effective as a result. The goodness that that walk is, would have done now hasn't done. So we have wasted an hour because it hasn't topped us up. If we're working on an assignment, if we've really got ourselves into a book for a piece of work or not for a piece of work, just for pleasure, and the phone beeps or the machine beeps, our attention will inevitably be distracted by that. And we are allowed this to happen. We've allowed notifications. We, we, we're, 
we're a distractible creature. We're all distractible, highly distractible creatures. And the new book I've written over COVID is about time and task management, but it's about attention management. Mm. And we've let that slip. Mm. We've allowed attention to be distracted because it's an available feature on our phone mm. and therefore we use it because we want to get our money's worth. Mm. But smorgasbord or you can eat attention is not what should be offering as an NQT or a student teacher. Yeah, and, and it, it's, a, it's a commodity whose stock is rising fast, isn't it? You know, attention. Um, everybody wants our eyeballs, of course. And, uh, and I had somebody on the podcast a few uh, weeks ago, a guy called Sean Shepard, who was talking about the, the use of data and the, the idea that um, you know, if the product is free, then we are the product. So that, that is so important nice. to get our attention to, so that they, people can get data off us. And as long as the product is free, then they're exploiting uh, our data. Um, interesting um i'll give you um i'll give you my tip i want to test my uh, tip on um see what you think of it right so this is what has seen me through about 25 years of, of teaching so yeah. it's time to stop i'm just holding up my hand here like the holding up my palm for me it's time to like hold up my palm and say whoa when i either lose my sense of perspective or my sense of humor when either of those things happen, it's time to say, right, I need to drop this. I need to do that differently or I need to, um, you know, either lose this problem or address this problem. So, um, so what, what, would, what would you say about that or how, how do you do that? I think humour is a good barometer. I think that a lot of laughter and a lot of fun has been taken out of education and taken out of school, taken out of the classroom. Mm. And um, it's almost seen as a, oh, we're not taking it seriously enough. But actually, Teacher Standard 1 is about engagement and it's about inspiration. And the teachers that laugh and make us laugh and make us engaged and make mm. us want to be in that space and make us want to be in that classroom. And I think when we're tired, we don't laugh as much. When relationships aren't going well, we don't laugh as much. And so I think sense of humour is a massive barometer of how well we're doing, how well we slept, how hungry we are. Um, how well the feedback is coming in and that we feel comfortable with that feedback. So yeah, I think it's a brilliant barometer. Certainly mm. if I lose my sense of humor, then there's something seriously wrong. It might not be funny to all, but it's certainly making me laugh and giggle inside and making myself feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't see many videos uh, of uh, Ofsted's funniest moments, do you? So you can see why <laughs> maybe not as much humor as there, there could be. Absolutely. But and, and I don't mean kind of, you know, out and out laughter, but I think, you know, I think it takes a confident teacher to take a group of people and laugh along with them mm. um, and feel comfortable, comfortable to take that challenge on and win that challenge. Um, but when you get it right, it's what makes teaching the best job in the world because it's not an easy skill, but when you get it right, boy, is it a joy and a pleasure. Well, talking of humour and, um, and the pleasure of teaching, um, can I ask for your perspective on something that trainee teachers often uh, quote back at, at me? So it's a, one of the people in a school will always say to them things like, um, they always say that you should never smile until Christmas. Yeah. Right. Uh, what, what would you say to that? I would say utter nonsense. <laughs> Um, if you're not smiling till Christmas, you've lost the class and you've lost the confidence of the parents and you've lost the trust of the kids. Mm. Kids are really good at gauging whether you want to be there yeah. and whether your heart's in it. 
and they're really good at reading the emotions so they know when my kids knew when i was ill mm. my kids knew when i wasn't quite right my kids knew straight away that i was anxious or worried about a particular lesson and basically they know and so this nonsense of not smiling um, until christmas you won't be there at christmas if you haven't been smiling um you need to be look it's a it's 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 a connections game. It's a relationships game. In order to be a good teacher, you have to build relationships, and you can't build a relationship without a smile on your face. You've got to get you've got to get down with them. You've got to get them to believe that they believe in you. They can believe in you. They can trust you, and you can't make those human connections if you've got a sourpuss face. You know, I had to learn all sorts of tricks. I had to learn all sorts of things. You know, one kid was completely disengaged as me, with a head, as me as a head teacher, complete disengagement, kicking off left, right and centre. And then it was only until we realised that we hadn't really connected with him and that we needed to find out what he was interested in and work from that. And when we discovered he was, he was really into lorries, you know, it seemed an unusual thing to be into, but it was an absolute passion of his. Mm. do english through lorries and he was suddenly interested yeah. do math through lorries he was suddenly interested wow it's a relationships game it's connecting with it's why um and if you don't smile to christmas then it's really you're not in a good place and arguably i'd say you're not in the right job yeah and the the, the kids can see through a frosty exterior can't they i mean as you said yeah. they can read your emotions and uh especially when it's superficial which inevitably it would have to be because yeah you wouldn't have got to a teach training uh, camp uh, with a scowly face, I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> I'm interested to know how you broke a kid down by uh, asking about lorries. I mean, did you say, are you interested in anything interesting like lorries? No, no, no. I said, you're not interested in, you're clearly not interested in maths. So, you know, give me a sense of what you are interested in. You know, what do you do outside of school? He goes, well, I love horses and I love lorries. Oh, and I said, well, I don't know much about horses and I know less about lorries, but I said, bring me in a picture and I'll put it up on my purchase board in my room. Mm. So he bought me a picture of a lorry with him standing by it and I put it up in my office. Oh. And then I checked in with him. I said, have you seen any more lorries recently? Mm. He goes, yeah, I saw, a, I don't know, whatever it was, lorry. I go, that's amazing. Oh. Bring me a picture in. I'd love to see it. And that child turned into... A completely malleable character mm. because suddenly I found a way to connect. It's a connection game. It's a relationships game. It's not a power game, and it's not a data game. And of course, the, you know, the, the worst teachers that you will remember at school, and I certainly remember at school, were the ones who just stood in front of the class and spouted stuff. And uh, we used to have a Latin teacher who would just recite you know, <laughs> declensions and so on. And, um, and if, if you weren't listening, he'd throw things at you. Well, yeah, I think but, uh, but learning and, they, they, you know, all this cognitive load stuff and short-term memory stuff and, um, and memory recall, that's all in the ITT framework. It's all about attention. Mm. It's all about attention. Without attention of those children, you might as well talk double Dutch, gobbledygook, because they're not listening, they're not, it's not going in. Mm. Without attention, you've got nothing. And if they're disengaged because you're not connecting with them in, in a relationship kind of way, mm. you, you, that, they're not gonna learn, they're not mm. gonna make progress, your data's gonna be rubbish. Until you learn 
how to connect with them and how to get their attention. So mm. concentrate on the basics and the rest will come. Mm. Children learn and so make them happy. And that might help with, um, I suppose, the final thing that I want, I want to ask you, and uh, given that uh, another subject matter of your pre-book so far, about what happens when you start to catastrophize as, as a trainee teacher. So you know, just to, you know, I'm, I'm going to fail, I'm not going to make it, and, and uh, COVID's going to wipe everybody out, and, and um, you know, I'm going to be, uh, let my family down, let myself down, and I'm not going to get as far as Christmas, and I'll look stupid. And just all of those negative thought patterns. Yeah, those negative thought patterns are, are, are a classic case of I have not enough sleep. Those are classic cases I've lost my perspective. Mm. And therefore, at those points, you have to get yourself some sleep and find that person that's going to get you back on track. And that person can be the cheerleader that goes, wow, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing. Mm. It can be someone that goes, get a grip. You're not having a hard day. Mm. It's not happening get a mentor or a person that's got your back that's going to go okay that bit's not working but try this or it's that person that goes yeah it, it's tough for me too and then suddenly you realize that you're not on your own mm. that there's someone else there with you that's someone else that's struggling you know covid is a real thing and mm. lots of people are struggling but if you were doing it on your own that would be a nightmare mm. you do it with someone else we're sharing the burden and I think that that's what I would urge people to do. So if they're losing their sense of humour or they're catastrophizing, or they can hear themselves just getting into a bit of a doom and gloom is to find those people. Mm. That goes back to the importance of connecting, proactively connecting with the right people and having those people in place for when we need them. We need that cheerleader to go, yay. We need that mentor that goes, mm, not quite, but try this. Um, and we need that person that goes, you haven't had a bad day, I've had a bad day, or this is a bad day, um, kind of first world problem kind of idea. And I think these are the people that we need to connect with. These are the people that we need to surround with, um, nurturing those relationships proactively so that they're there for them when you need them most. Yeah, and, and I suppose the final Jeremy Paxman-like difficult question, would, <laughs> if I may, okay, that how am I going to ensure that I'm not going to just surround myself with people who are going to tell me what I'm going to hear, or I'm going to seek out the, the whingers, the naysayers, the people who are going to bring me down, um, or people who are going to be hollow in their cheerleading and, and so on. So there's so many voices that perhaps we shouldn't be listening to. So it's difficult to discern which are the right. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I think it's an important point. I think that it's kind of like the Facebook likes, isn't it? We want lots of friends and we want lots of likes, but actually most of them are empty, superficial, um, and don't mean a thing. Mm. What you want to be is, is get less quality, not quantity. You want to get the right person and really focus in on those skill, on that person's skill. And that, in a sense, is, okay, if you're only allowed one of them, who are you going to pick? So when I do my training, I go, well, you've only got one. You only have one person that can fulfill this role. So who's the best one at that? Mm. And then you identify that particular trait in that particular person. And then you go, right, that's my go-to person. If they're not available, they may be deputies, but that's my go-to person on that one. And if you've identified it and you've made it very explicit that these are the four people in the world that we need, mm. and you identify the best person for each of those, and that each of those people have to be different, mm then you've almost got it on a piece of paper. 
the go-to person because I'm feeling this, I'm going to them. So I have my cheerleader, her name is Sue, and she's an amazing lady and a very talented lady in her own right. Mm. But whenever I phone her up, she goes, hi, superstar. <laughs> That's, That's nice. her opening gambit. And mm. I know it's my own. And, and it's not superficial. Yeah. It's genuine. And she's jolly good at it. Mm. And she knows she's jolly good at it because I tell her she's jolly good at it, which mm. makes her do it more. Yeah. So cyclical processes are the four most important people in your world. Mm. Find them, keep them, nurture them, use them. Mm, absolutely yeah and i and i've got cheerleaders and um i've got all these very supportive people in my sort of friendship group but i've got quite an unusual addition as well and i've got a friend who's um who i won't i won't say his name who's the most negative naysayer and whinger in in the world i've ever met in my whole life i think if if you could measure being negative he would be um the most negative <laughs> person if there was an, you know, an olympic standard he would meet that olympic standard absolutely I, I i find him really quite therapeutic because he's just like the ghost of christmas future so whenever negative thoughts enter your head i think oh well that, don't be like x don't be yeah, like yeah 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 person. absolutely i think yeah i think i think all teachers all teachers all, all staff rooms have got a dementor yeah all staff rooms have got a worries me life is terrible lamenting catastrophizing mm. and if that's for real then that person is absolutely not managing their own personal basic needs mm-hmm. but i also see there's lots of uh, pantomime villains who enjoy being the pantomime villain the mm. doom and gloom the anti-merchant and there's lots of me that is that you know so my opening my first assembly as a head teacher was I hate football and I don't like Harry Potter. You know, I enjoyed playing the pantomime villain. Yeah. I enjoy playing that role. But we've got to be careful for the, um, for the real dementors um, because they do suck your energy away from you. Um, and it can be a relative thing if you're feeling buoyant. But they can drag you down if they're not. But I think that um, a little dose of a dementor is not too bad. But I think 24-7 is a little bit too much unless you're unless you're topping yourself up significantly or you can see through it and you can see that they're the pantomime villain because i yeah. you know i couldn't hold a straight face when i told the kids that although yes. actually i don't like football and i don't like harry potter but yeah. i realized how offensive that would be to 160 children <laughs> <laughs> really would be yeah i limit my exposure to my negative friend i, I can tell you but i, I think that um but one thing I always share with, with trainees is that I learned, I learned very quickly as a trainee um, to avoid the people in the staff room and who would, um, when you ask them about what they did over half term, they'd say, I didn't do anything because I was marking for the whole of half term. And then they'd spend most of the time sort of running around and not actually doing anything, but just running around and looking busy. So, you know, that's that But busyness has become a top trump card yes. with a big number on. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the the new book is about busyness isn't good busyness is actually i'm not i'm out of control mm. busyness is i can't prioritize busyness is i'm running around because i everything's taking me too long mm. because i don't know what i'm doing so busyness has become this super, super duper social thing that is uh, oh wow they're amazing they're always so busy mm. whereas i look at busy people and go you know you haven't got it quite right mm. you know it's mm. not about busyness it's about effectiveness mm. about doing less well 
comma well sorry less comma well um (laughs) um, and that's really important yeah absolutely and uh so I very quickly, as a trainee, aligned myself. There was a guy who uh, used to, every time there was a, a weekend or a holiday, he'd be traveling somewhere really exotic. And, uh, and he was really cool and everyone loved him. And he, you know, he, he, get, the, he got really good results. And so I thought, well, he's more likely to be, uh, you know, to, to be a good influence on me than the person who's always complaining about their workload. And it's, it's quite interesting to be around. Align yourself with the people that, that, that you can give to and they can give back to you. Mm. Because mutually beneficial relationships are... The relationships that are going to make a difference mm-hmm. and are worth investing time in yeah so was this you haven't lost it david this this, this is damn good it really is you haven't lost, <laughs> you, last year has been kind to you and you've been very kind to the last year of course i mean you, lockdown was good to you because you've actually done a great deal of writing haven't you yeah lockdown's been good to me i'm I pinch myself and i'm lucky that i've had that you know the kids book got released in the summer Mm. I've had a chance to write their fourth book in the series mm. or third book in the adult series. Um, so yeah, COVID has been good to me and, uh, but I don't want to sit, you know, I'm, I, I want to give that love back and I want to give that support back to teachers specifically, um, early career teachers to keep them in the job. You know, we've seen an upsurge in recruitment this summer because of COVID, but, you know, there's some good people in the system that are struggling. And uh, mm. if I can do anything to help and support those teachers, support the next generation of teachers coming through, through the podcast, you know, through my training, through the books, and I'm, then I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. It's much appreciated. And uh, we will be in touch and uh, I'll speak to you again very soon. But I really appreciate you coming on and uh, you know, spreading so much joy as well as wisdom. That's, uh, that's what I really appreciate. I've, I've loved every minute of it and I'm really pleased to have been asked. Thanks. Cheers, Dave. Wasn't that lovely? So to follow up on that, what's your well-being challenge? What are you going to do differently after listening to wonderful David today? Enjoy and see you later.